Hello and welcome to episode 4 of the BMcast. Not a podcast that automatically scoops to a Teferi avatar, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I'm Scott and I'm joined by the Tron Queen herself, Emma. How are you doing this week? I am doing pretty good. I've been dabbling in some vintage cube. I managed to draft a sweet blue-white control deck, which is not something I usually play, but I fancy something different. Um, yeah. However, in bigger news, I have ditched the pants for mm. Tron lands. So I've been starting to play mono green Tron in modern again. And I did a league recently and I finished 4 1, so I'm pretty happy with that. Nice. Standing side by side with Karen Pants Liberated? Yep. <laughs> and also, it does run um, the Karn's pants as well. So there is, there is some pants in there, but not quite what you'd associate with Bogles. Can't go fully pantsless. No. <laughs> How about you? How are you doing? I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. The last few pieces arrived for my Pauper Walls combo deck. Oh, God. Um, not this deck. Please, no. <laughs> to anyone at home, if you haven't heard of this before, it's a Pauper deck. And you basically play Walls. You find a, a way to make infinite mana, essentially, and then just infinitely lightning helix your opponent. It's very fun. It's kind of weird, because it kind of reminds me of Amulet Titan and Modern, where you just got to go through these really intricate lines to find the right yeah. card and figure out your mana efficiency and then get this combo and just go off. It kind of is. Like in Modern, you, you transmute the, the Teleria West. In this, you just transmute Drift of Phantasms to get like a Freed from the Reel and go infinite and all sorts. And given the games that we played like in Purple Magic Online some time ago, you did have some moments where it sounded like you had a bit of a migraine. It's. I'm not going to lie, it's very hard to pilot. Like, I don't, I don't use this deck before I've had my coffee in the morning or late at night. Let's put it that way. Smart. <laughs> so, before we jump into the meat and bones of the episode, I would like to say a quick thank you and shout out to our new patron, Max D. He's a friend of the show. He creates videos on Magic the Gathering props, like uh, Signets and Monarch Crown. And at one point he made, was it a chocolate Theros mask? Yeah, it looks real sweet. No pun intended. <laughs> Uh, also he is the host of battle of wits it's a new magic the gathering themed quiz that we both actually appeared on the same episode on episode one back with op gavin verhey and merchant as well yeah. uh, it was good fun we got trounced by gavin absolutely trounced felt like a game of like arch enemy where gavin was the arch enemy and we still lost yeah it turn- turns out if uh, if someone makes magic for a living they're pretty good at all the the facts and <laughs> And fun bits about it. So uh, it was a real blast, though. I would definitely recommend checking out Max's channel for more. That's over at youtube.com forward slash Max Makes Magic. Also, before we jump into the main topic, there's another thing that I thought we might want to touch on a little bit here. This is about budget itself, what we deem to be budget and also why budget, because, well, I'm sure we could do a full episode on this in itself. I think it's probably a good thing to do early on, at least to touch on, to to make sure that we're all sort of singing from the same hymn sheet, like the cost of a whole deck, for example. You know, that's that's pretty important. You know, you, when you say something's budget, you don't really want to say that something's budget and then, oh, it's $400 or something, you know, even for something like modern. We, we kind of have some price guides, generally speaking, when it comes to budget. Yes, correct. One thing you need to understand with budget that it varies on person to person because everyone has sort of different financial responsibilities and incomes sure. and so forth and so forth. So we tried to be as fair as possible because mm. not everyone can afford a 400 500 modern deck however as scott says we have a guideline in place that we think is pretty fair and it's pretty approachable and reasonable mm. so we have standard at around the 50 dollar to 100 dollar mark given that yep. you can build like modern red for less than that and it can do really well 
So for Pioneer, we have 100 to $150. And then we also have modern in a similar range. It can be anything from $100 to 150 to 200 200 will get you probably closer to a semi-competitive deck, but it also depends on what sort of strategy you're playing. And then also, you know, some cards, some cards are nice and cheap. Some are a little bit more expensive, but you know, we don't want to turn around and be like, here's a, here's a $100 deck, but $80 of it is down to this one play set of cards that doesn't really sort of fit the whole budget idea as well. You know, so the way, the best way to look at it is, um, especially from like an upgrade outlook, it's much, it's far more important to pick up more of the cheaper cards first than picking up this one super expensive card because the impact is going to be more noticeable on the cheaper stuff and you'll have a better deck overall. Um, yeah. And in most cases, you're more likely to you know, still do well without this one super expensive card. It's really important just to think, oh, I could spend 20 bucks and get in like, the removal suite or a couple of new lands. That's going to be far more effective than going, oh, yeah, I need this like Liliana Avail for Jund, whereas I can pick up like the Abrupt Decays and like the Raging Ravines and all that sort of stuff first. And then because that will just give you more impact immediately rather than hoping to draw this one really expensive card that's in a 60 card deck. Yeah, for sure. Jund may be not the best best uh, example of that because <laughs> it can be quite expensive, but in terms of yeah. affordability. Yeah, absolutely. There are some exceptions to this. Um, and one that example that I like to use for this is Brazen Borrower. So, for example, if you were looking to play, say, Blue in Pioneer or Modern or whichever, Brazen Borrower isn't exactly a cheap card, but there's no really usable replacement for that. And it's going to go into so many different decks and the cost of it will retain because it is played throughout all these formats and if you were to buy it say like a play set for like say fifty dollars sixty dollars whatever it is you will get that back if you were to sell it chances are because it's a mythic it's a unique effect so uh, other examples of unique effects that have retained their price for example would be say ensnaring bridge those specific single cards would be the exception to like you were saying there on Jund and stuff, Emma, where, like instead of getting the one Liliana of the Veil, these are cards that don't have any suitable replacements necessarily. Like, sure, you can replace it with a blink of an eye, but then it's no longer a threat as well, you know, or you could replace it with a little flash flyer, but then it can't interact with the board. Um, but generally speaking, like the previous rules would apply before this one would, you know. Yes. Yeah, so th- there are a couple of reasons why, well, both of us have chosen budget. Now, I'm sure we have sort of slightly different reasonings behind this um but why budget you know like emma what would you what would you say for like why do you play budget or why do you write and and record about budget the reason is is because i like helping people often modern gets a lot of slack for saying oh yeah the format's really sweet but you need a thousand dollars to get into it to play this really competitive Mm -hmm. john deck or humans or these green black piles so forth um and that's not true like you can play modern on a budget of like a hundred dollars quite easily um, you just have to be realistic with your like success and you have to be realistic that you might not win every game mm-hmm. modern's in a pretty sweet spot right now even better now astrolabe's banned i agree and the carpool is so big you can do so much with it and not to mention a lot of the cards transfer over to other decks and lastly modern is a non-rotating format so those cards will st- stay in modern for as long as you want and you, you're getting more mileage out of your cards that way compared to a format, say, like Standard, where you have to 
refresh your collection every 18 months. And yeah, it's just yeah. to prove a point that while everyone's not going to have like a thousand dollars to spend on a deck, you can easily build like four or five within that budget over time. Yeah. And a lot of the time, people just don't know where to start. It can be quite intimidating, isn't it? Because money is quite a personal thing to talk about and not everyone wants to be mm. open about it. So if you can introduce someone to like a hundred dollar burn deck that they can turn into like Mono Red Prowess or into Boris yeah. Burn down the line... That's a pretty good way to go about it. So that's what I tend to do at TCG Infinite. I, t- I take pre-existing modern decks and go, you can build this on a budget. As long as you're realistic, that it's not going to perform the same way as an optimal deck. But you can go mm. down this route to go into one way or buy these upgrades to go to another way. And that's, that's what people want. People just want insurance from their, from their purchases. Yeah. And, you know, and that's what I do. And everyone should play modern because it's great. <laughs> And just to just to touch on on what you were saying there with, you know, getting someone in with like a hundred dollar burn deck or something. I personally am an advocate of if you're going to get into a format where you're going to start off with the deck, build the budget version first, get an understanding of the archetype. If you don't like it, you've invested very little and you can move on onto something else and try something else. Or if you just turn out you don't like the format, you can just sell it and move on. There's not much not much loss, you know. But if it turns out you do like the deck or the format and you want to build the full version, I would sooner, like if, say, for example, if there was a Team Trios event and I needed a third player and I saw someone with a semi-optimal deck that they've had for six months and they have been playing it twice a week and everything and, and have been building it up and are now getting pretty good with it and then i saw someone else who's just bought the fully optimized version of that deck but has never played a game with it before i would pick the first person every time every single time because when you when you start budget and you start building it up you you get the basic foundations of the of the deck down first you learn to do more with less yes essentially like when when you play budget and i i truly believe this when you play budget magic you are playing with fewer resources technically than your opponents that have like fully kitted out decks. And if anything, it makes you think about the game differently that your resources are worth less like pound for pound than your opponents are. So you need to be able to leverage that much better. Yeah. So one thing I like about Budget Magic, um, it kind of has a lot of correlation towards Budget Magic Unlimited in the sense Mm -hmm. that you learn how to lose because you know your limitations Um, and learning how to lose in magic is a really important skill that not many people do well (laughs) not many at all (laughs) it's it's the whole premise of fun versus competitive right so if you have fun with the deck you're more willing to lose with it because you're enjoying what you're doing and you're Mm -hmm. willing to learn and understand and become better because you're getting something out of it from an emotional level absolutely also you kind of pick up these habits where you learn to play against like road cards cards that people don't really prepare for because you played them yourself you yeah. get to, you, you play around stuff more uh, and you become more um tilt proof i guess is the term yeah for sure and to to add to that as well when you particularly when it comes to deck building budget decks uh, this is something that i've noticed during my time of doing it i'm sure you've experienced the same emma is that when it comes to like tuning a deck or tweaking a deck you have so much card knowledge and format knowledge because you are looking through all of these cards to try and find like replacements for win conditions or good counter spells or or whatever it might be like you know more than likely way more of them than most people do because if you're just sitting there 
constantly playing against tier one all the time, you're only going to know like roughly 2% of the format in terms of card volume. It's like when we did our first episode where I mentioned Eliminates, the budget of Brock Decay. Like, mm-hmm. not, not everyone's going to have that correlation, but it's quite easy once you've seen so many cards. You're like, oh, yeah, this could make a good Abrupt Decay like, placeholder. Like, Fiend Artisan could make a decent Tarmogoyf impression yeah. if you want it to. It's quite a cool skill to have, but you have to understand that not everyone has it. And that's another reason why we do budget content. It's just to enlighten people that you don't always have to play with the best cards because they might not always give the best results. Yeah, and they're also often not as fun to be honest, because like, I mean, to me, every time I have new, unique interactions in games, that's where I get my most enjoyment from. Mm. And playing budget decks and and playing against different budget builds and stuff, that's where the best magic actually happens. Yes. Like the most enjoyable. Sure, most technically proficient happens at the very top tables of a GP or a PT or whatever. But if you're looking for like this is real magic like i gotta be honest it's it's at the it's at the like the two four bracket or whichever where someone has brought like a budget build or like their own brew or something to a gp and you're like what is this like i remember seeing at one point there was like a there was like a five color token prison deck or something that someone brought to a gp and was on coverage it was where i was playing like tapping exotic orchards and then having like that curse from Amonkhet to punish your opponent for having creatures enter the battlefield and stuff. I was just weird. What? It was really, Madness. really weird. But it was, you know, that kind of stuff is real magic. That's that's as Garfield intended, you know? Yeah, it's like the, the O203 bracket. If you've got like a tier one deck and you're in the O203 bracket, you're not going to win any games because you just don't know what you're up against. Because you could be up against like Merfolk or yeah. Blue Black Ninjas or, you know, Leyline Control. Nice little bit of shade at Merfolk there. Yeah. <laughs> It's easy. <laughs> it's like shooting fish in a barrel? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're sorry to all of the Merfolk players. We love you, really. No, no, no we meant it. <laughs> no, we didn't. We didn't. We didn't mean it. Please don't, please don't turn off. <laughs> yeah, like, another thing that I kind of notice when you do brew and make budget decks is kind of the talk of the tournament, because it's like, oh, have you seen this person with this uh, Monoletron yeah. deck? Have you seen this person, you know, with a really sweet budget Golgari rock deck, for example? Yeah. Um, it's because it's different. A lot more uh, people will pick up on it, and it's, it's kind of a cool thing. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely is. It's it's for inclusion as well, because not everybody, like we said earlier, not everyone can afford to splash out for foiled out Jun decks or, or, you know, legacy decks and all this kind of stuff. Budget, however, you know, again, budget is subjective, but there's a budget for everybody. And like budget means that more of your friends are going to be able to afford the games that you want them to play or that they want to play. And inclusion is great. Like elitism sucks. It's the like, worst thing in magic. It is actually genuinely the worst thing in Magic, I think. Yeah, it's, it's just know. really uncomfortable because I, th- I think one of the worst things you can do and pro- probably one of the worst things, he- things you can do in life is just be negative towards something that someone really enjoys doing. And especially you share the same hobby, right? So why make it difficult for someone when you enjoy it yourself? It just feels a really weird sort of habit to get into. Um, but yeah, elitism yeah. in Magic's an issue, especially like deck, deck elitism, like... You should play what you want, play what you enjoy. It's a hobby, you know. You invest time, you invest your time in it to get fun out of it. You might as well do the optimal thing and do something that you enjoy. Even if you lose to, say, like, five-colour ley lines in modern, 
because someone might yeah. bring that to an FNM. Instead of being really sorry and petty about it, just go, oh, this is a sweet deck. You know, how did you come yeah. to build it? And, you know, you kind of learn more that way and you learn more about really obscure cards, which, you know, going back to the point earlier that you become more tilt proof against cards, you know, it's much easier to be nice than be a bit of a jerk. For sure. I do have to ask, though, have you got a have you got a list for that uh, five color ley line control deck in modern? I don't, but I could probably find one because it was an old saffron olive sort of conjure, uh, old saffron olive kind of deck. Hmm. Yeah, look into this. The M Casper. <laughs> oh God! Oh God! No, I'm not looking forward to that. <laughs> um. All right. So yeah, that that's like I I know that was a little bit tangential, but like to be honest, to kind of sum it all up, budget is whatever you want it to be. And the reason for it is because it allows more people to enjoy the thing you enjoy. And what people don't seem to realise is budget affects everybody. They just don't realise it. Yeah. Because we, we all spend money on cards, right? So people, people want a good deal, for example, but people will always like to save money. So I think mm-hmm. budget magic's a lot more common than people realise. They just don't get it yet. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Okay, and... With the quick little chat about what is budget and why budget out of the way and have that sorted. Now we're all singing from the same hymn to Torak sheet. Uh, so we're going to do <laughs> a nice little segue there. Uh, so this week we are doing the first installment of what we are calling the $100 color challenge. So if you're thinking of getting into modern but you don't know where to start or you're always on the lookout for some sweet budget staples, then this is the challenge for you. This week, we're going to be talking about a curated list of mono-white budget staples in Modern. We're going to be having a chat about why they're good and where you might use these cards. Now, we're starting with white because it's in Wooburg order that we thought we would do this, and it's in Modern, because Modern is probably the most popular constructed format, not including singleton formats, obviously, because of course. then it would clearly be Commander. But what we're going to do here is we're basically going to be breaking down why you should play the colour that we're talking about. In this case, it's going to be white and the the sort of hallmarks of the color and 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 what the color is known for in that format specifically then what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about some of the cards we're going to have the full list in the show description but we're going to be going through sort of some of the standout pieces and then we're going to have our top five so white is often seen as the best support color in modern as it has plenty of great sideboard answers not to mention powerful removal with this, you can acquire quite a lot for $100, which will present mileage in future modern decks as a lot of the cards can transfer over to other decks. And um, For yeah. example, White is quite known for having excellent hate pieces, especially against artifacts. So you have stuff like Disenchant, Kotaki's War Wage, Fragmentize. Even Ruined Halo is really good against um, like decks that want to push through lots of damage and you can just negate that damage altogether. So white is also quite good as like a hosing strategy. It's really good at just hosing against like artifact decks, graveyard decks, that kind of thing. Generally, it's just quite a good support color. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's really good because yeah, I mean like disenchant has been good since forever. You know, been like, printed since forever. <laughs> it, it was an alpha card originally, wasn't it? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, so like disenchant, and then like even even cheaper ones if you need it, like like you said, fragmentize and stuff. We'll notice a little bit of a sort of a recurring theme that there are some sort of like hate bears and and, and taxing kind of things and stuff. And the one you mentioned there, um, Kataki's War Kataki's War Wage, is that how you say it? Is it Kataki War's Wage? There we go. Yeah. So yeah, there there are really good like hate pieces and stuff like that, and 
what was the other one you, you mentioned ruined halo like ruined yes. halo which is now like pennies because of it being reprinted in, in corset like they're just really good it's almost gotcha cards like they they feel like gotcha cards like if you're playing against an affinity opponent which you know let's be real it's 2020 you're not but you know if if you were and you just like they just tapped out or whatever and then you know you untapped and played your second land after they vomited their hand onto the table and you go kataki wars wage past the turn like they're gonna concede that 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 basically is like a wrath of god only it hits all your opponent's artifacts so it's crazy powerful yeah, like Rune Halo as well. Um, I remember a time when I was back on Bogles and in the time when Isa Phoenix was everywhere, as you would oh, know, yeah. Scott. Um, yeah. Rune Halo is really good against a flipped thing in the ice, for example. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Uh, it's very good against, yeah, decks like that where they have just the one or two main win conditions. Like it's really, really good against like Scapeshift decks and stuff as well, yes. and Titan decks. Because yeah. if you just go Rune Halo, name, you know, Valakut, the Molten Pinnacle, and then if you happen to get a second one and just name Primetime, like they can't win. What are they going to do? Beat you to death with an Azusa? Like it's not happening. They have to have um like force of vigors if if we're talking like game one they have to have like a force of vigor or something similar just to get out of that situation otherwise they're just not winning as you said they're probably beating down with like an azusa or a sakura tribelder which doesn't feel great for sure and another another good hate piece that i personally have a vendetta against is eidolon of rhetoric it's a it's two and a white one four enchantment creature, and each play each player can't cast more than one spell each turn. Like like you said earlier, like I was I was playing a lot of uh, is it Phoenix, and I would see this, and Lightning Bolt does not kill it, so I basically just couldn't kill it. Yeah. I, like you just play this, and is it Phoenix didn't do anything. You had to cast one spell a turn until you flipped your thing in the ice, and that was that was it. <laughs> You know, but white is second to none. Like, I know that white sometimes gets a bit of flack for being that, the the weaker color or whatever. But, you know, some of these, uh, granted, a lot of the cards are kind of older. Like, there's a lot of, like, Kamigawa kind of cards and, and, and further back in, in these lists. But a lot of these cards are extremely potent and you won't find this kind of effect in other colors at all. But yeah, it, it, there's there's so many different hay pieces that make white really, really, really good. Um, and, and similar to the hate pieces, there sort of crosses into the creature side a bit more now compared to those sort of hate pieces, but like taxing kind of creatures as well. You know, like you have your Leonin Arbiters and stuff, you know, where Leonin Arbiter being the two mana, two, two cat cleric that players can't search libraries and you have to pay two in order to negate that effect. Leonin Arbiter granted is like $3, $4 maybe, but you know, it's, it's a unique effect. It's very, yeah. very powerful. And there are obviously, you know, more more popular, more well-known ones like Thalia, Guardian of Thraben, the one in a white 2-1 legendary human with first strike where non-creature spells cost one more to cast. That's a perfect example of the kind of the kind of taxing effect that white can give. When it comes to when it comes to white, there is something that a lot of newer players tend to latch on to and some of the you know, more seasoned players are like, no, that's a bad strategy. It's never good. It's never good. But they obviously have never played in formats where, or in metagames where, you know, burn and dredge are the things to play. Yes. So white is traditionally known as a life gain color. As they say, magic life is a resource. 
So you should leverage your life total as much as possible to get advantage on the game. Um, White's very good at gaining lots and lots of life. So you have stuff like Mara Sands, Soul Sisters. And it's just a really cool strategy because it leverages against aggressive decks. For example, you mentioned like Burn. And if Burn and Dredge are really popular, this like life gain decks are great because they they just need to do more work to kill you. And if you're on yeah. like 50 life, the the, the base of Ajani's Pride Mate, Soul, uh, Soul Warden and Soul's Attendant is a really good base for a life gain deck. And it's also really cheap because they're mostly commons. And life gain yeah. is just a really common trait in white. So you can make a really powerful life gain deck for commons and uncommons, basically. It's even a pulper deck. Like Yeah. Another thing that white is pretty good at as well is it has quite an aggressive slant on it as well. You know, like you look at the likes of, say, Champion of the Parish in humans. That's a one-man one one that just grows and grows and grows and grows. And if you ignore it, like if you don't make it eat a bolt on like turn one or turn two, it's going to need multiple removal spells come come the mid to late game. When you couple this with, with things like, like newly printed um, Selfless Savior being able to protect creatures and stuff, you know, I, I know that normally Selfless Savior, like... It wouldn't be good enough for modern because it's just a one white mana for a one one dog with absolutely no text on it whatsoever, and you can't convince us otherwise. We've yeah. we've said this before, but it's uh it's still a it's still a good boy though. It's still it's a very a good, good boy. boy. But you have you have those kind of things, and like say like there, there's been like Loxabot decks before where you play like venerated Loxodon, and you play it a bunch of cheap creatures, and then you just make them all huge, and then you're threatening lethal next turn and. Like if you if you cu- if you couple all of that with you know some life gain or some taxing effects like well I mean I guess that is kind of the basis of one of the the sort of hallmark decks of the color which is like death and taxes style strategies you know so uh, another thing about white which is not often seen is that uh, white so there are some white cards that have some really interesting abilities uh, take Knight of the White Orchid for example which has a really unique design and I wish they designed more cards like this. Um, so if you don't know what Knight of the White Orchid is, it is a two mana two two. So for two white of white, uh, you get a human knight uh, with first strike. Uh, when Knight of the White Orchid enters the battlefield, if an opponent controls more lands than you, you may search through your library for a planes card, put it onto the battlefield, and shuffle your library. Note that it's a planes card as well, not necessarily a basic land. It's quite a powerful mm. effect, and to have that on a two two aggressive body is really nice and i just wish they designed more cards like this because it's just not a thing you see often and yet it's on a white card yeah yeah that's that's it like quirky things like this and to be honest i don't think they should be quirky i think we should have cool things like this like you said more often because this incentivizes you to well not necessarily incentivizes you to go on the draw but it makes you feel less bad about being on the draw like this sees play in the mono white devotion list in uh pioneer um, but this has seen play in modern before so i do think that cards cards with interesting abilities like this if we see more of these i'd be very happy personally oh absolutely um and it kind of mitigates uh like mana screw feels a bit better doesn't it it doesn't it's not the feel bads of oh i've been mana screwed I, I've, I can't win because i've just drawn badly this kind of offsets that a little bit yeah Absolutely. And it, it does incentivize you a little bit to keep more land light hands. And in aggressive decks, honestly, I think I think more people need to, to risk those one landers sometimes, you know? Yes, agreed. <laughs> one thing that white is also good with 
is the removal. It's among the among the better colors when it comes to removal, particularly when it comes to exile-based removal or mass removal like sweepers. So in modern, obviously the hallmark card for this would be Path to Exile, but you have other things like Winds of Abandon, which was from Modern Horizons, which is one and a white sorcery. Exile, target creature you don't control. Their controller may search the library for a basic land card, put it into play tapped, and then shuffle their library. And it has Overload. So yeah, Overload is four white white, and you can cast this spell for the Overload cost. And if you do, you change the text on it by replacing all instances of target with each. So what it does is it exiles uh, every creature you don't control. You know, it's like a mass path to exile, which will break apart board stalls and basically allow you to just alpha strike in the in the mid to late game. So, you know, the, like that's that's a seriously powerful effect that you won't find in other in other things. Like white's just like nah, exile that it's gone forever. Yeah, like no questions asked. Yeah, it's yeah. really important in a format where the graveyard is an important part of the game. So against stuff like dredge and other graveyard strategies having like path to exiles or winds of abaddon it's just really good because it just allows you to get rid of that threat forever and you don't have to worry about it yeah. carrying back and um, one thing i like about winds of abaddon as well is with the overload saying each target um your mm-hmm. opponents likely not to have that many basic lands so after a while it just feels like you know a bonus that you're just removing a threat oh, yeah. with no downside it's because modern's not really a basic format basic land format so you can get away you can really leverage that you know it's really good yeah you know yeah one of the one of the main reasons to to be playing white to be honest is probably the removal if you're looking for like hate pieces and good removal like white is definitely the way to go and i sort of i sort of tacked one on the end here when when it came to one of the other sort of hallmarks i suppose of white in modern and I think I think a lot of people would would be inclined to agree with this, or at least a lot of people that like specifically more the the taxes style things or whichever. Um, but I'll leave uh, I'll leave it to yourself in your your capable hands, Emma, to have a chat about this one. Yep. So I agree with you. Um, so white is also known for having flicker and blink effects, um, which are also strategies in modern. So you have things like Restoration Angel, Flicker Wisp ephemerate and more recently charming prince which has seen some minor play in like modern mm. humans um these sort of blink effects where um you exile your creature and it comes back and it might have a cool enter the battlefield ability so for example take blade spicer uh, it's a free mana one one um, but it makes a free free golem when it enters the battlefield and blade spicer gives that golem first strike so there is a time mm. where you can cast your blade spicer for free for free mana on turn three, then you can uh, either ephemerate it next turn, get another golem, and then you can use the rebound to, to do it again, and then you have another golem, so that's like 10 power yeah. off like two spells, which is absurd. And it's just a really cool kind of strategy to leverage the board state in your favour. It's also good mm. to use defensively to protect your creatures. Like Restoration Angel has been great at just, you know, blinking kiki-jikis over the years, for example, and just going yeah. off and comboing and whatnot. It's a very protective sort of colour, uh, white. So you can really punish your opponent because they might want to remove your threat. You can blink it and get extra value and just out like two for one your opponent, essentially. Yeah, and I find that I find that the flicker strategies not only can be quite defensive in that sense, but they're they're very disruptive in in a way that I think a lot of people don't really 
think of as necessarily disruption as such because when you think disruption you think like oh it's either removal or it's like thought seize effects and that kind of thing yeah but it's more general shenanigans with permanence when it comes to white you know like there's been there's been several times where i've end step flashed in a restoration angel to flicker a flicker wisp to then flicker a tron land away for a turn and you yeah. know like that kind of disruption like a lot of people don't expect it or aren't properly kitted out for it or don't know when the right time to remove something is and you can you can really have a number of gotcha moments with these kind of flicker strategies particularly with the inclusion of say like i know it's not budget now but like ether vial and that kind of thing and yeah. being able to throw things in at instant speed or flash things like like resto or ephemerate and stuff as well also, thanks to Modern Horizons, it's actually a modern strategy where you have Soul Herder, which is a blue-white yes. card that, that blinks, and it also uses Ephemerate to use stuff like Frag Task to gain loads of life and make loads of free freeze stuff like that. And it, I, sh- I recommend mm. you checking it out because it is a really sweet deck, and it's kind of yeah. proof of concept that um, Modern Horizons, despite the, the, some of the design mistakes that happened thanks to Hogak and Astrolabe, yeah. There are, it did give birth to some really sweet decks like Soul Herder, which is a really fun build around and you can have your blinks and shenanigans and have a good time. Yeah, for sure. In fact, I I think that might actually be a reasonable deck to look into now, like either a blue-white or banned Soul Herder. Yes, I think it's quite yeah, good. I remember fun. it being quite expensive at one point because it ran like the Misty Rainforest and the Noble Hierarchs because it is a free-colour deck. Yeah. However... I imagine you can make it blue white and it still be pretty good because you got reflector mage as well, which is always fun to play with. Oh, I had a I had a blue white version built here myself, and uh, the top oh, yeah. end was uh, Sun Titan because Ooh, out Sun Titan's just a good card still. Oh, it's so. a great card. <laughs> yeah, so there's yeah there's there's all those things too. So. Yeah, and I remember playing like blue white Emiria ages ago, where it had Emiria Sky Ruin, and you can recur your Sun Titans and just have a good time. Those were the days. Yeah, it was it was basically an Emiria deck. Blue White Emiria deck that just had the Soul Herder Ephemerate couple of flicker strategies in there and there you go. Yeah, it makes sense. So but yeah. They're they're sort of the sort of cornerstones of white in modern that that we feel anyway. Like if there's anything that you feel that we've missed or anything, you know, feel free to, to mail us or DM us. Some of the cards will fit into some of the categories and also into others, you know, that kind of thing. Like Thalia is a little bit aggressive while also still being taxing. And technically, depending on what type of hate, uh, deck you're facing, it can also be a hate piece, that kind of thing, you know. But there's a, there's a lot, lot of stuff in there, a huge wide range. But we do have a top five. We do. So for each of the colors in each of the $100 challenges, we do have a top five. And fifth on our list, so number five, we have Giver of Runes. So Giver of Runes is one white mana for a 1-2 core cleric. And you can tap her to have another target creature you control gain protection from colorless or from the color of your choice until end of turn. This card is bonkers. This card is crazy good. It's it's $4.80, so it is slightly on the higher end of the sort of budget scale, I suppose, while still, for most people, I would say, would be considered budget, I think. Yeah, I agree. Giver of Runes is going to have a lot of application in modern, and it's seeing that now. Um, for example, mm. you've seen Infect Deck splash white for Giver of Runes and Teferi, which sounds pretty mad when you think about <laughs> it. Um, you have the Boris Hammer deck that runs Giver of Runes to protect your combo piece because you don't want to be blown out by removal mm. when you want to hammer someone in the face. Uh, it's featured yeah. in Black White Taxes, Eldrazi Taxes, Mono White Taxes, any 
white based aggressive deck wants this card because it's it's just like a mother of runes it's not as good as mother of runes because yeah. they would be silly to reprint that in modern this is the next best thing and i think this card's great and at four dollars eighty cents feels pretty good to own a set for what under 20 bucks yeah and um, as i was saying earlier it's important to get mileage out of your cards and that's where you yeah. save your money $20 on a set of cards may seem expensive, but you have to think how much you're going to use that card. And me rattling mm-hmm. off all those uh, decks that Giver of Runes is going to be in and the future decks it's going to be in, you're going to get your money's worth out of it. So I do recommend picking a set up probably before they go back up because Modern Horizon cards tend to fluctuate quite aggressively. So, Yeah. And just to, just to touch on, you were saying that it was not as good as Mother of Runes. I would argue that in a lot of circumstances it's potentially better like obviously they do very very similar things they can't give themselves protection from a color but giver of runes unlike mother of runes can give protection from colorless this is true and it's very important in tron and eldrazi tron decks easy yeah this this one kind of fits under the under the disruption banner sort of the disruption and the taxing kind of effects because it taxes your removal so like if you play this on turn one you have to kill it because yeah. if you don't kill it, it means that your removal spells are going to be wasted tar- trying to target something else later. And then from that point onwards, it's also disrupting your removal. Because if you get another one late game, it's again, it's another tax. You've got to kill it. Otherwise, you can't kill anything else going forward until you deal with it. And it's extremely disruptive. As we were mentioning earlier, that white cards have really unique effects. Give a Rune has a pretty unique effect. And you won't see it on another in a different color just for what it does yeah and like when when it comes to this kind of effect in modern this is the only decent version of it really in in terms of modern standings because if you want to have this kind of effect outside of giver of runes you're going to have to use stuff like like god's willing or apostles blessing and stuff and they're just single use like unless you decide to include snapcasters and then we're onto some sort of weird ass brew that i don't know where that's going (laughs) but you know like giver of runes you just there is no real substitute for this, to be perfectly honest. And you might notice this with the cards that are on the top five here and probably future top fives as well, is that these cards are exceptionally powerful. There's no real replacement for them and they will forever see play until strictly better versions of them are printed, I would imagine. I agree. And it won't be for some time either. Even when better versions do turn up, you still want to play these kind of effects because having eight of, of a similar effect seems pretty good yeah yeah redundancy is a huge thing for sure absolutely um next on our list i'll leave this one to yourself emma i'd say this, yep, is, so a, this is a card you've probably lost to a few times now let's say yep so as someone who plays a lot of tron i have lost to this card a fair bit it has been featured in modern sideboards since the dawn of time and that is stony silence you are not familiar mm. what Stony Silence does. It is a two mana enchantment. So for one generic mana and a white, you get an enchantment. And it reads, it's very simple, very elegant. Uh, activated abilities of artifacts cannot be activated. And that is it. So stuff like Stony Silence are really good in modern because artifacts are really good in modern. There yeah. are instances where artifact strategies become quite dom- dominant and you'd want to pack like three or four in your sideboard. In most cases, it's just a get your card and it just allows you to buy that time to do the thing that your deck does. Mm-hmm. Four of these is good to have. However, you can easily get away with getting hold of like two or three um, because yeah. it's rare that you're going to want to run the four. But Stony Silence is like $2.30 at the moment. So for under 10 bucks, you're getting a playset of a very versatile 
poser of a card that you'd want to play in white in pretty much all of your decks. Even if you're running some artifacts, I would recommend still playing Stony Silence. Even Death and Taxes still runs it and just side out like the Ape of Ours, depending on the matchup. Mm. Probably one of the best hoses in modern, and it is definitely on the list to pick up. Absolutely, yeah. And again, it's one of those one of those ones where you don't really have a decent replacement for this. There's no there's no cheaper alternative, and there's no more efficient version. Or just to be honest, like the closest thing is like Karn the Great Creator, but like that's four mana. Like a lot of decks also just don't want to run that kind of thing. There is another effect to uh, Stony Silence, and that's Collector Oof. But Collector Oof is in green, and it, financially it costs more than a uh, Stony Silence. So mm. traditionally, enchantments are quite tricky to get rid of in modern, especially as a lot of modern decks don't tend to pack that much enchantment removal, so you can get away with this sticking on the board for some time. Yeah, absolutely. Saying that, going on the theme of enchantments, the next one, our number three, is also pretty good at hosing certain decks. Isn't that right, Scott? Yeah, and this one is the card that has made me cast Arclight Phoenix for its retail more often than I care to admit, and that is Rest in Peace. It is one and a white for an enchantment that reads... When Rest in Peace enters the battlefield, exile all cards from all graveyards, and if a card or token will be put into a graveyard from anywhere exile it instead so this is just straight up graveyards don't exist this game you do not want your opponent to have a graveyard it is just shut up it's gone it doesn't count it's not here it doesn't exist goodbye and a a lot of decks are fine with that there are a lot of good decks again like like we were saying like those taxes kind of decks and stuff particularly in white no graveyard synergy whatsoever they don't use that field at all like they don't use that zone so just pack the most powerful hay for it because may as well use it, you know, because like there are a lot of decks in modern as well that have some sort of incidental graveyard recursion or, or interaction in some form. Like even even something that you might not initially think of, say, like mono red prowess. Now, granted, I'm not necessarily advocating for putting rest in peace in against a, against a burn deck, but, you know, it's nearly five dollars a piece, but it's actually pretty close to the lowest it's been in a long time um i would definitely recommend picking up a couple now granted you might only need like two it would be rare that your sideboard would need four rest in peace because unless your opponent is preempting it and destroying it or countering it or something like that the graveyards are gone you know so you only really need the two yeah i like to have play sets of stuff just in case but you can easily get away with two or three Absolutely. Um, honestly it depends how much you get them for you can probably get them less for $4.80. And by then I'd be like, might as well get four just in case. It's nice. Uh, if you can if you can afford to get a place out of, well, basically any of these on the top five, I'd highly recommend them. But uh, there is another one on the list now. Number two. We're getting close. We are getting close. So number two is a card we mentioned earlier, which is Farley, a Guardian of Raven. She is about $6-ish at the moment, which seems quite high. However, as we were explaining earlier, she's quite a unique effect and she's very disruptive and she's very aggressive. All the things you want to do in white. You can get away with free because she is legendary and, you know, legendary playset is often seen as free and not four. In any like white aggro deck or attacks deck, you want to fit Falia in there. And she's just really good at attacking and she makes storm players really sad she makes combo players really sad any like artifact heavy decks really sad it's just that 
incremental sort of disruption is enough to for you to push through an absurd yeah. amount of damage. Absolutely. Again, she seems quite cheap now as well. I remember at a point when she was like ten, fifteen dollars. Yep. When modern was more played, but obviously stuff's not played at the moment because of COVID. So mm. this is also a really good opportunity to pick up cards before they go back up when everything begins to normalise. Just to echo what you were saying in terms of, you know, making making people sad with uh, with a specific card like Thalia. Like, granted, we were we were talking on a previous episode about like a budget version of Thalia in the form of Rin Wingmare, but again, it's three mana versus two mana. If if you really can't afford Thalia, go Ring Wingmare. There will be a non-zero number of times where casting it on turn three is very different to casting it on turn two and will possibly cost games or whichever, but it's still fine. Yeah. But ideally, Thalia is where you want to be because even like even combo things aside, like even if your sort of metagame that you, you play in is mostly even control decks, turning off a sweeper for an extra turn, like delaying that sweeper by an extra turn, it could mean a game easily. Yes. And it means they have to spend their turn bolting Thalia or removing Thalia mm-hmm. for an extra mana. And that's often a time walk in a lot of cases in modern. Um, so it's just, it's just enough to buy you the time. It's not about the Thalia sticking. It's just they have to answer it, which buys you yeah. another turn to go, cool, I can deploy all my threats now because you've used, my, used this removal on a Thalia. Yeah, so like again, against combo decks, it should stay on the combo for long enough so that you can be face and win the game. And against control decks, it turns off the sweeper for the one turn that, you know, or time walk them for the one turn, like you said. Um, so Absolutely. yeah, it's it's exceptional. Yeah, exceptional at its job. Um, and speaking of being exceptional at its job. Here's number one. Second to none. Second to none. The number one on the list, uh, we had alluded to it earlier, and that is Path to Exile. One white for an instant. Exile target creature. Its controller may search for a basic and put it into play tapped and shuffle their library. Like, there really is no beating this card. That, like, if you're going to play white, the very first thing that I would tell you to do, it's, it's roughly $4 a copy now. Get four path to exile and go from there. In every color, there's there's like that key piece of interaction, like path to exile. In black, you've like fatal push or inquisition or whatever it might be, um, you know. And and in red, you've got bolt and stuff. White is path. When people think white, they think path to exile, and it's because there's literally no good substitute for this. The difference between path's power level. And the next thing on the list, which is probably something along the lines of, say, Winds of Abandon, is enormous. It's so, so huge. This is just leagues ahead. There are a couple of placeholders you can have on Path, but it won't have the, the desired effect to what Path to Exile have. Um, so you have mm. cards like Condemn, uh, which is a one-mana instant. It doesn't quite exile. It puts the attacking creature on the bottom of its owner's library and they gain life to it. Mm-hmm. While it's not quite the same, it kind of does the job and it's really good against Death Shadow if you expect a lot of Death Shadow in your metal because it just two-for-ones them hilariously. If you're more artifact-focused, something like Dispatch can work, which is essentially Path to Exile, but you need the Metalcraft criteria for it to turn on, so you need to have three artifacts to exile the creature. And then after then, you've got stuff like Oust, which is like a sorcery speed tuck. Again, not as quite as good as Path to Exile. So yes. while $16, 17 on a place at a path might seem a lot, it's going to tie you over for a very, very long time because there won't be a removal spell as good as Path to Exile in the format, I don't think. Yeah, we even said, we even said like, what was it, two episodes ago or so? That, you know, Path to Exile is the kind of card that should be a dollar or less. 
like you should Agreed. be able to find it in the in the chaff box you should be able to find at least a couple of copies just lying around it's been printed that much that people are just getting rid of them you know so so that's the that's the top five and to round out this episode we have a really interesting and i personally think and i I know you feel the same a pretty powerful mono white tokens deck uh it's been tearing it up on magic online and it's been become and in the last like day two days we're recording this on a sunday by the way uh the last day or two has become a bit of a meme on magic twitter as well it's as i said mono white tokens it's like what 150 160 dollars in paper and it has a bunch of the cards that are on our list our our hundred dollar color challenge list and like the deck is gas the deck is actually gas um so if you want to if you want to give us a quick run through the deck there and i know i know you've been playing around with the idea of even buying this in paper i believe am i right oh yeah absolutely if there's one thing i love is a successful cheap deck and mono white does that really well um so the the objective of mono white tokens is what it says on the tin so you have um lots of spells that generate tokens so you have stuff like raise the alarm Servo Expedition, Spectral Possession, and then you use Anthem Effects. So you have the recently printed Force of Virtue that everyone seemed to have forgotten mm-hmm. about when Modern Horizons came What's out. Someone again? So it's it's part of the Force Cycle. So it's an enchantment uh, for four mana. If it's not your turn, you may exile a white card from your hand rather than play this spell's mana cost. As a result of that, it has Flash, and then it gives all creatures mm. plus one plus one. So it's an instant speed Anthem Effect, which is really cool on an enchantment. Um, nice. So, yeah, the goal is just to go wide with tokens, either use stuff like Force of Virtue or Gideon Ally as Endicar. So you want to use its minus four ability to make all your creatures have plus one, plus one. In addition to that, you yeah. have Venerated Loxodon, which is kind of an Anthem effect because it discounts the Venerated Loxodon, putting mm-hmm. those counters on your creatures, coming into your turn, you just untap and swing. It's a hyper-aggressive white token deck. And the reason it's doing so well is because Modern has shifted since the Astrolabe ban. Every time there's like a new set or uh, there's a banning, the metagame shifts. And the best way to counteract that shift is just to play an aggressive deck. Traditionally, burn decks, so like burn, prowess, and even mm. like now, like mono white, like mono white tokens is really good just because it just tramples over. It's the best default thing to do because it just takes advantage of strategies that are trying to still figure out what they want to do. Mm. Um, and it's just like the mono white tokens who's been crushing it online. It, it manages to two for one the Jun deck, which is impressive. And as Scott said earlier, it's about $160 in paper, which is, for a modern deck, that's pretty budget. That's within the guidelines we were talking about earlier. If you want to make this even more budget, um, there is a couple of cuts you can make to replace that. So the list that's been doing really well on Magic Online runs four Sunbaked Canyon. Immediately, you can cut these four Sunbaked Canyons for Silent Clearings, which is the white black horizon land where Sunbaked Canyon's mm. the white red. Um, so Silent so Clearance like half. And this is the same thing, just cheaper, right? It does, it, yeah, it does the same thing. So Silent Clearance like half the price of a Sunbaked Canyon, so that saves nice. you like $25 already. Uh, going to the sideboard, we have Oriok Champion. Um, Oriok Champion is quite an expensive card at the moment just because it has a unique effect and it's played a lot in Five Color Humans. Uh, a play set of Oriok Champion is going to set you back at $30, which is quite a lot. However, mm. as a good placeholder, you can run Core Firewalker. Um, it has protection from red, which is also really good, and is in sideboards in modern for some time as a good counteraction to re- uh, to burn decks. Um, yeah. While Orient Champion offers pro red playback, this is the next best thing, and it also gains you life. 
And a playset of Core Firewalkers set you back like $2 compared to the $30 that Warrior Champion yeah. are at the moment. So overall at the moment we're selling about $55, so we're close to like a $100 range already. Um, lastly, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you use Gideon Allo Zendikar as like an anthem effect. Hmm. Um, a good yeah. alternative on this is Elspeth's Sun Nemesis, which is from Ferros Beyond Death. While Elspeth doesn't give an anthem effect, she does boost up a couple of creatures to plus two, plus one, turn end of turn. Um, and she can also create tokens as well, which lies, which ties in well with the theme of a token strategy. Um, yeah. She can also gain you some life, and it also gives you some in, something to do in the later game if you've run out of gas because she has escape, so you can cast her from the graveyard. With that, you can easily make a, a decent mono-white tokens deck for about $100, saving yourself $60 until you want to get the other pieces. Easy, yeah. Now, I'm a big fan of this deck, and I'm very likely to build it in paper just because it's so cheap. And as I said before, I'm a big fan of competitive, semi-competitive decks that are cheap. It's the sort of deck I would happily lend out to someone at, at the first modern FNM, for example. It's really, yeah. it's a really good strategy to play if you want to understand combat. It's a great way to get someone into the format as well, I would say. Yeah. Also, this deck has seen some play in uh, modern GPs before. If I recall, yes. last year at GP Sao Paulo. I want to I say. I think it was. I think um, it was, yeah. There was a, a Brazilian player that played a mono white tokens deck and he went six and two on and managed to day two. And yeah. the deck cost him about $70. And it's very similar to this. It's just all tokens, uses venerated Loxodon as like a top end and has yeah. lots of anthem effects. And this was like this was like pre modern horizons, so there wasn't stuff like Battle Screech or Force of Virtue available. But it just mm-hmm. kind of proves that if you just take something off the cuff and budget friendly you can you can get there even at a high high end tournament like a gp for sure absolutely right so lastly i want to end the episode on some good news that i have two double masters previews which is very (gasps) very exciting now just just to be clear just to be clear you have the previews not us right yes it's it's, i have them through tcg infinite (laughs) um okay i see how it is all right yeah, I, I'm, working, I'm working on the BM cast preview, all right? Give me time. Um, so the the preview will go live the second this episode goes live. So on this day, when you hear this, you will see my two previews for Double Masters over at TCG Infinite. And I recommend checking it out because the set looks pretty fun. So there'll be some, there's some really cool uh, deep dives on Extended as well to give you a little teaser. Ooh. Yeah, so pre-modern that time yeah oh thank you for listening to the bm cast if you have any questions comments or sweet brews you can email us at budgetmagicast at gmail.com you can follow us at the bm cast on twitter search for budget magic cast on soundcloud and support us over at patreon.com forward slash budget magic cast we'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck